Podcast. This is Dare to Use the F Word. I'm Rebecca Lee Douglas, and today I'm bringing you the first ever episode of our podcast on young feminists. Dare to Use the F Word is a production of Barnard College and the Barnard Center for Research on Women. I'm here today with Allie Salas. She's a Barnard senior, and she works for the Center for Research on Women. Hey, Allie. Hi. So as Rebecca said, I'm Allie. I'm a senior at Barnard, majoring in Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies and minoring in dance. I'm finishing up my last semester at Barnard, which is bittersweet, but I'm excited to embark on a career in the performing arts sector. So we've introduced this new podcast to bring you stories about how millennials are taking on feminist ideas and making them their own. And this week, we're focusing on street harassment. So, Ali, what's your experience been like with street harassment? Well, growing up in New York City, it's been pretty much something that I've had to deal with uh, my entire life. And do you have one catcall or something like that that you remember in particular? I do. I, there are many. But one in, one in particular was when I was uh, walking down somewhere some street on the upper west side and some man told me i dropped something and for a minute and a half i was literally walking up and down the street thinking i had dropped something and it turned out that i hadn't dropped anything at all but his heart according to him <laughs> and he said he just wanted to see my butt so that's definitely a memorable one I've been staring at your ass all night. Is it cool if I take you out sometime? Sweetheart, please stop perpetuating the patriarchal dividend. It's so over. The guys in Brooklyn, though, they like to guess my birthplace. They're like, yo, yo, Jamaica, Jamaica. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tanzania. Disgusting, sir. Would you talk like that to your mother or your daughter or your surgeon? One of the most visible groups fighting back against street harassment is Holla Back, which is an international movement that started in Brooklyn in 2005. Emily May, who's the founder of Holla Back, helped define what we mean when we say street harassment. And so we thought we'd let some tape of her speaking start the podcast off for us. So when we started in 2005, we'd never heard of the term street harassment. We'd only heard of catcalling or public masturbation or some of the ways that you describe street harassment, but we'd never heard it grouped in that way. But, um, but generally, street harassment is just sexual harassment that happens in public space. And like sexual harassment that happens in the workplace or in the home, it encompasses a range of behaviors from nonverbal gestures to verbal harassment and comments and threats to groping, public masturbation, forms of assault, you know, it, it's a whole breadth of behaviors that are happening um, that are designed to intimidate people. And it can happen to, to men, it can happen to women. You know, there are folks that it disproportionately happens to, which are, you know, young people, um, people of color, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender folks, and low-income individuals. Um, but really, it can happen to anybody. It happens everywhere around the world. No culture is exempt from it. And everywhere around the world is a resistance to it. And that resistance is growing both inside of the work that Hollaback is doing, but also with the movement broadly. You know, we've seen 
I, I don't know, maybe 25 different little projects pop up around the world just in the past couple of years. You know, we are right now in the street harassment movement where they were in like the late 70s in the workplace harassment movement. We're in this place where like the people that are on board are really freaking on board, but we haven't hit the tipping point yet. We don't have our Anita Hill moment. You know, we don't have the place where everybody gets it, where everybody's clicked, where it's important. Um, but we do have a tremendous amount of really exciting energy going on right now. And, and it's an incredible thing to be a, a part of a movement in, in its infancy. Holla, holla. People sing around, now people gather around, now people jump around. To learn more about Emily's organization or to share your own street harassment stories, visit iHollaback.org. And there you can also find tips on how to respond when you're feeling harassed, how to help others when they look like they're experiencing harassment, and how to start your own Hollaback chapter at your college. Today we have two interviews with young women who are working creatively to bring attention to this issue of street harassment. Later on, we'll hear from Sonia Saraya, who started a blog where 11 women publicly documented their experiences with street harassment. But first, we're going to hear from Sydney Mosley, the creator of the Window Sex Project. And she was a former alumna fellow with the Barner Center for Research on Women. So the Window Sex Project is a choreographed modern dance piece that Sydney directed, and it gets its name from the idea that women are window shopped or treated as sex objects by men when they walk down the street. I started my interview with her by asking what inspired her to take on the project. I was at this point creatively um, where I wanted to make a dance that was sexy. I wanted, you know, the movement to be interesting and clear and purposeful and sharp and dynamic. And I wanted it to specifically use women to portray those movement qualities. So that was one thing that was happening. And then the other thing was I was just dealing with a lot of instances of street harassment. There's one instance in particular where I was getting ready to go out for a friend's birthday party and it was at nighttime and someplace downtown so you get dressed up really cute and I put on this dress that I absolutely love, but it's a short dress, and it took me an hour to leave the house because I knew that someone was going to say something to me the minute I walked outside. The whole psychology of that really freaked me out. Like, I was in my room crying because of the threat of having to deal with someone commenting on the way that I look or saying something inappropriate to me. So part of the dance, as you're talking about, is super sexy. Mm -hmm. How were you able to walk the line between um, doing something that made the dancers uncomfortable or mm -hmm. being too sexy, or was that part of it? Or That was a part of the creative process, and my rule throughout the whole process was it is up to the dancer. I never asked the dancer to do more than what they were comfortable with. I think... Fortunately for me, I had dancers who were very brave and who were very willing to share not only their bodies, you know, changing their clothes on stage or being in their underwear, but also willing to share their stories and like their own personal experiences. And that element was necessary to really get at the issue. And I don't think that if we had been tamer, um, in a little more covered up, then I don't know that we would have been able to get at the real complexity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in addition to the performance aspect, you also did these community workshops mm -hmm. that were part of the project. Mm -hmm. uh, can you describe what those were like? 
Yeah, um, they were the very first step of the project. So um, I, summer 2011, I held three different workshops um, in three different spaces around Harlem. They were free, open to the public, targeted at women ages 18 to 35. They came in, I gave them a free dance class, and we specifically did um, African dance. Um, and then that was followed by lunch and a panel discussion. And it was really um, two goals for those discuss lunch discussions. One was to um, kind of disseminate information, like what can I do like if I want to prevent feeling this way, but then also giving a space for women to actually tell their stories. So we took those stories, went into a dance studio, and I facilitated um, all of these individuals making movement phrases about what they had just talked about, you know? Can you describe any of the movements that came out of um, yeah. these workshops that you ended up using in the actual performances? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there is a section, one of the first sections of the piece is called the Barbie Army. Um, I think it's like the most hilarious thing that I've ever made because it's a spoof on kind of being a showgirl or being a Barbie and feeling plastic and having movable parts. And a lot of that movement came from an exercise we did in the workshop. It had something to do with a specific part of your body that you think um, attracts a lot of attention and to make movement around that particular part of your body. I remember specifically there were two girls who were paired up and they had really funky hairdos and so they made their phrase about their hairdos because apparently that attracted a lot of attention and so like that section alone became like this mechanical like head bobbing around 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 thing that went into the Barbie army section. Um, another example was um, a group that it was they kind of like outlined their breasts and their butt because they felt like that was the thing that always attracted the attention and so you know like I just plucked all of these things and it all built up into the section where we have these four women who are marching and they're like identically doing this kind of rocket precision dancing but about specifically about their body parts you know so that's that was the kind of relationship that the workshops fed into uh, into the actual choreography. Can you tell us about one of your other favorites that was different than that one? Um, one of my other favorites is at the end, and Leah King, who I have to shout out, she was very kind and gracious to offer three characters from her one-woman show, Can I Get a Smile, which she created a year before I did about street really harassment. Like, tell me, would I ever say that to a man like, I happened to see her show um, and said, oh my God, I love it. We've got to collaborate. This ending section, she's in the character of Joan, and Joan is a high school yoga and poetry teacher. And <laughs> Joan um, invites audience members to come onto stage, and the dancers at that point are doing what we called the eyes closed yoga section. So they're actually doing moments of yoga and they're doing this all with their eyes closed. So it is an experience for the dancers because they have no idea where they are in space um, but they are moving through this and then Joan invites audience members to come take a walk through um, through this space where the dancers are walking with their eyes closed. And all, all parties are freaked out. 
Um, and the point really was, in terms of the audience participation, to have a very physical understanding of the, the, complexi the complexity of navigating public space. And once they're all there, Joan invites everyone to do a sun salutation. And all of a sudden, the audience is on stage, and they're, you know, they're performing, you know, and they're part of this experience. And that is one of my, like, absolute, absolute favorite moments of the piece. And then you also collaborated with Ebony Smith, mm -hmm. who's the current BCRW yeah. fellow, and she composed the music for mm -hmm. the Windows X Project. She's a mm -hmm. composer and a producer and um, does a lot of cool stuff. So um, how did she get involved? And then was there anything specific that you asked for in the compositions? Um, Ebony got involved because Ebony and I are attached at the hip. <laughs> um, and she has been composing music for my dance work since I was a senior at Barnard and I created a piece for my senior thesis. For the music, there were some pieces that she had already composed and I was like, hey, can I pull that one for this piece? And then there were others where the movement kind of dictated the music, like the Barbie Army section. So there's like this um, this drum, this steady drum beat in the background that sounds like, you know, a marching band or something. So it really gets at that whole army kind of thing. But then we're watching this movement and we're like, this crap is so, it's, it's so eerie, <laughs> you know? And so she, she pulls the melodic line from one and like puts it back in, but it's like, it sounds like a haunted house because it's so, it's like freaky. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've seen this one particular section where the the dancers are walking around and mm -hmm. then um, the, the music incorporates this like man's voice who's mm -hmm. saying like, look at those legs. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know if Ebony used like samples for that or if you... <laughs> <laughs> Would you believe it if I told you that that's her? No way. <laughs> <laughs> I let the cat out the bag, so... <laughs> So what we did for that section was uh, all of the comments that you hear are a collection of real life things that I've heard, other people have heard. You got some nice legs. When do they open? And I literally just gave her, I was like, here are a list of cat calls, you know, can you figure out how to incorporate them? So she comes up with this like jazzy, like, you know, background music that she's doing on the keyboards. And she figured out a way to manipulate her voice in her, she's such a techie geek. And like, she just figured out a way to manipulate her voice um, so that it sounded like a man. And we originally wanted to get some guys in the studio to to record it for us. Schedules didn't work out. We couldn't, you know, it's just, and she was like, I'll just do it, you know? Um, so, yeah, like, that was her. That's nuts. That is her musical genius. <laughs> um, well, Sydney, thank you so much. This was really cool, and I'm really excited to see what you do next. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Sydney Mosley is a dancer, teacher, and choreographer living in Harlem, New York. She has her own dance company, Sydney L. Mosley Dances, and her work often reflects real-life experiences, exploring, but not limited to, interests in Black cultures and the experiences of women. Looking at me, what you looking at?
Up next is our interview with Sonia Soraya, who's the creator of Cat Called, a blog where 11 women anonymously documented their experience with street harassment for two straight weeks during the summer of 2012. I began the interview by asking Sonia what she was initially hoping to get out of the project. My goal was to put together a set of women's voices so that people might understand what street harassment feels like. It was not intended to be something that was going to indict men or all men or anything like that. Um, if anything, I was sort of hoping that by putting these feelings into words, it might help to explain to men of my acquaintance and men in general uh, why, why this is something that would bother us. I wanted them to be writers because I wanted it to be I wanted it to be a group of stories that were well told, people who could express their feelings well. Um, that being said, the I think what, what, what interestingly what happened is you know some of the women are have a sort of more like blogging style kind of casual voice, which works really well, you know, for some people. And then some women have this kind of like, you know, I mean like like metatextual like questioning themselves kind of memoir thing, which is also fantastic and. You know, one one of the participants wrote a whole thing in animated GIFs, which I thought was really funny. And like, you know, that's that's they're using their tools of expression. Um, I don't think that um, that necessarily privileges their experience, but I just wanted them to be to be entries that other people could share around and and get universal kind of communication out of. Um. So, as you mentioned, the participants in Cat Called are anonymous, but you've given us some information about each of the women. You, we know her race, her age, her sexual orientation, or how she describes that, and, and her location. Um, so, did you notice any correlation between, like, the different factors and their experiences with catcalling? The only people who contacted me saying they hadn't experienced harassment were white or affected white, which means that they, they look like white women. And something else is that, I mean, and this is clear just from reading the entries, that anyone who looked queer got specific harassment about being queer. Um, so there was, there was sort of an assumption that women were supposed to be straight, and then if you, if you affected queer, appeared queer in any way, that was an issue. So I'd like you to read this one particular passage. Um, she lives in the Bronx, and she's 26, and she is Latina and describes herself as queer. Uh, and she has a trans partner um, who she refers to as R. So I think she um, uh, mentions her partner in this passage. It hasn't always been easy, and this summer I have experienced a different side to street harassment when I am with my partner compared to when I am alone and perceived to be a straight woman. Because I am very feminine in appearance, I am always viewed as a straight woman. Always. I can't tell you the countless number of times that people, particularly women, have been shocked to learn that I am queer because you are just so girly, you can't be gay. Not only is this ignorant, but it's also insulting to assume that all queer women need to follow some cookie-cutter mold in order to be really gay. Men, on the other hand, either find my sexuality to be a game or are so downright offended by it that they choose to threaten me with words and sometimes actions. All my life I have experienced street harassment in some form or another, by men whistling at me, grabbing my arm or stomach in the middle of the street, telling me how sweet my pussy must smell. It's been scary, annoying, and frustrating, but I've learned to walk fast and keep my head down. I've learned how to ignore. 
But the harassment I face with my partner is a whole new level of scary that I can't even place into words. We try our best to make sure we're not holding hands or making too much eye contact on the train once we go past 86th Street. We attempt to walk like friends if we're anywhere outside of Lower Manhattan, but when it comes down to it, men notice my partner with his short hair and men's clothes and breasts and hairy legs, and they lose their shit. They see a pair of dykes, and out come the slurs and glares and the movement of their bodies into our personal space in order to scare us. The balled up fists and spits on the floor. It leaves me angry and full of anxiety and sometimes feeling a little bit helpless, but I refuse to go back into the closet in order to feed the egos of the insecure, ignorant cowards we call men in our society. I won't play straight again in my life for anyone. So can you describe your rea- your initial reaction to this piece? And um, also you chose to focus on this uh, when you were introing this particular participant. Um, so why you thought it was so significant? I think it's shocking. I think that... I mean, even as someone who's interested in writing about street harassment, the level of harassment she's talking about is shocking. I don't think that, I mean, there, you know, there are not that many people who have this particular experience, right? She grew up in this neighborhood. She came out at some point in her life. Now she has a trans partner. Uh, This, I mean, this is a place she calls home and has called home for a long time. And this is the response she gets. It's, it sounds like siege. I mean, it, it sounds like she's under siege. The, I mean, and she doesn't, you know, she describes it as all her life. Like, mm-hmm. this is, it, this is really intense. Um, I definitely wanted to highlight it because I wanted to show, well, I wanted to call attention to how threatening these men found to queer women. A lot of these women also brought up issues of gentrification in quite a few of the responses. Can can you speak about that a, a bit? We thought about gentrification a lot, I think, because many of the women were living in neighborhoods that were in transition. And I remember, some, I mean, some of the women writing about how they were aware that they f- were intruding and didn't want to intrude, but also didn't want to be, I don't know, did it, didn't want to disturb whatever the norms of that community were, but couldn't deny that they were, you know, being objectified in unfair ways. I'm not sure if I have anything to say about gentrification per se, but I do think that, you know, the process of neighborhoods changing brings people from different communities together. And that is a situation that is pretty ripe for street harassment or for any kind of um, any kind of, of sort of urban street phenomenon. Like you're just bringing a whole bunch of different people together. Sonia, thank you so much for coming in. <laughs> thank you so much. This is really cool. Sonia Soraya is an independent writer based in Brooklyn, New York. You can find links to some of her most recent work at her website, soniasoraya.com. To read all of the participants' stories, you can visit catcall.org. And that's all we have for today. But next month, we're going to have a pretty cool show. 
We're gonna have a Columbia student reading an original vagina monologue. As our history is steeped in a heritage of sinner and sluts of sinner and sluts. And we'll also be featuring stories from participants uh, during the flash mob for One Billion Rising that happened at Washington Square Park. And all of these women speaking out, united, saying no more. We're not going to deal with um, the things that we deal with every day. And I think that's a great statement to have. And the little girl that was dancing beside me, love it. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Emily May from Hollaback, Sydney Mosley of Sydney L. Mosley Dances, and writer and blogger Sonia Soraya. Ali Salas has been my co-host for this episode, and special thanks to Sarah Dooley for composing the podcast theme. Check out our new podcast on the last Friday of each month, and make sure to visit the Barnard Center for Research on Women at bcrw.barnard.edu. And send your questions, comments, and ideas for future shows to bcrw at barnard.edu. But for now, we'll just leave you with a dare. Use the F word.